Above Ground Podcast, episode 136. Anna Elizabeth, I Will Survive. Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose... We can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Because you can't serve below. We are on Zoom this morning, and Tim and I are very, very grateful to have our guest this morning. Our guest is Anna Elizabeth. And wow, dude, why don't you take it from there? I've got just the regular notes here, so you may have a little bit more to... Um, I, I, I don't probably have much more notes than you. I just, um, what I'll just give a quick little story. Um, we were, we were doing, a our own episode on healing and I usually try and get like a little skeleton before Will and I get together and then we compare stuff and we just, you know, have open conversation. But anyways, I was, um, searching the, the good old fashioned interwebs. And I found this thing called um, Five Facets of Healing. And I started reading through it and I was like, this makes a lot of sense, right? So I'm, I'm kind of like, I was writing some stuff down and I go to the bottom and it says Anna Elizabeth. And I'm like, well, instead of just like, you know, telling people about, you know, her stuff, maybe I can find her and get her to tell our listeners about her stuff. You know, it seems a little bit... Uh, seems a better way to to do it so anyways long story short i contacted anna and she responded and obviously agreed and here we are today and as will said we are super grateful to have you here thank you i'm super grateful to be here and i'm i'm grateful for the work that you guys do i've been since you reached out i've been re listening to your podcast and actually connected with one of your listener one of your other uh guests and um oh wow cool you guys are doing is phenomenal yeah so thank, thank you. you for that awesome um so i was kind of if you, if you don't mind we can just jump right in and start kind of um you know how you kind of started you know to create this five facets of healing yeah so it's you know, as with everybody's story, it's an interesting journey, right? Um, it, it began unbeknownst to me, like in childhood, you know, what is that saying? Nobody, nobody gets out of childhood unscathed, I think, <laughs> something like that. Um, but I never really thought about it. And then on May 11th of 1990, um, my first child was born and he also died on that same day following unexpected delivery complications. And I remember thinking just hours after I learned that he had died that I didn't want to spend a lifetime mourning him. 
And what I say is I didn't know what that meant, what it looked like on the other side or how the hell I was ever going to get there. And I hope that doesn't offend your, our listeners, but um, I knew what I didn't want. And I went kind of from there. And over the next seven years, I would go on to experience two second trimester miscarriages, three more complicated but successful pregnancies, a six-week psychiatric stay for severe depression. And in that final pregnancy, six weeks before that child was born, I discovered that my husband and my best friend were having an affair. There was a period of time I had suspected for about a year and I kept being told that I was delusional, that I was crazy, that I was imagining things, that I was a drama queen. So that was when I really got serious, you know, in that morning, um, and I write about this in my book, Digging for the Light, which remind me, gentlemen, I got to come back to Digging for the Light in your above ground podcast title, because when you reached out to me, like I got chills, but that morning I found out about the affair, I just collapsed on my kitchen floor up against my washing machine. And for hours I sat there and I just kept waiting for the world to swallow me up. And, you know, I'd had this prayer, um, you know, God, you know that I can't take any more. They say, you don't give us more than we can handle. And, you know, I can't commit suicide. So please take me. And I would wake up in the morning and, you know, there was a period, short period of time, but I thought, you know, I can't get living right and I can't get dying right where, you know, where am I? And after hours of sitting on the floor, just waiting for the world to swallow me up and it didn't. And I joke, right? At the time it was no laughing matter, but now I can joke about it. <laughs> you know, I, I sat there, I'm like, okay, nothing's happening. <laughs> These prayers aren't gonna be answered either. And it's not gonna be fixed with you sitting on the floor. What are you gonna do? And I thought, okay, you're going to get up and you're going to, you're going to make a phone call. And that phone call led me to another phone call that led me sitting down within a day in front of this woman who said that, um, basically she said, I was not being punished. God wasn't punishing me for anything. And God wasn't choosing that these things happened to me, that when they were happening, he was actually wrapping his arms around me and uh, crying out in pain with me. Now that, you know, the, my spiritual evolution then kind of became there. But so on each of those, those journeys, right? Each of those lost events, I, I had one question and that was how is it that some people go on to live happy, fulfilled lives following tragedy, mishap or mayhem while others succumb to drugs, despair, a life of void or suicide? And that question spawned countless other questions and when I wrote my memoir, Digging for the Light, I did hundreds of edits on it before I finally hit that publish button. And one day I was editing it and it came across, I came across the quote that I had written about the morning I found out about the affair. And it said, every piece of hope I'd ever held on to before had just been shredded. My faith in people 
and God and trust every spiritual, emotional, physical, social, and academic part of me laid in a heap to be tossed out with the garbage. It never made it to the garbage. I recycled it instead. And when I read that quote, all of a sudden those five things like became neon and this little voice said, that's it. And so I started pursuing, okay, there, I always, I knew that there was something there. Then I realized there was something inside of each person that we tap into that we're able to draw from. But I also realized we're born with it. And so from that, the initial five facets was birth. And so just real quick, if I may, you know, that we're all born with the exact same gifts. It's just the details that comprise them are different. So the academic facet, and these are just in alphabetical order because it's easier to remember that way. Um, the academic facet is an ability to learn. We all learn differently, but we all have an ability to learn. The emotional facet is an ability to feel. The physical facet is two-pronged. We're born into a physical body and a physical environment. The social facet is the ability to connect to the world around us in some form or fashion. And that's people, places, and for alliteration, plants and pets, right? So animals, nature, place, people, and we all connect differently. Some people connect more to animals than people, but we all connect in some way. And the, the last one is the spiritual facet, which is the divine self within, and that's separate from religion. Religion can be a support resource for the spiritual facet. So for the first 10 years of this program, I went around the country just whenever I could rub two nickels together to get someplace and find somebody who would listen. And I shared that topic. And one day this little voice was like, okay, it's great to tell people that they have what they need within them to heal whatever they face, but what do they do with that? So that question spawned countless other questions. Lo and behold, slowly, but quickly, the five facets of healing was birthed. And it's a five-part program that helps people gain insight into the conflict that comprises their grief and to identify where they want to go. You know, one of the things that I say when we're stuck, we're like overwhelmed, it's because there are so many moving pieces and I talk about it like an umbrella and within that umbrella are so many things that we can't identify or don't identify, and that's what causes the overwhelm. So this program is designed to help methodically pinpoint, help people pinpoint and identify those things, so to gain insight into themselves. That is quite the uh, story. I gotta. I know Will's got something, but I gotta. I gotta ask this quick. When you were lying in that heap as you say that woman spoke to you and said how god was embracing you basically how hard was that to comprehend in that in your state of mind at that moment um actually it was very easy experience i mean that's just the best way to describe okay. it. i actually felt invisible arms wrap themselves around me it was it was a profound experience for me and in that moment it helped me realize that you know again i wasn't being punished 
I, for a while, I, I felt, you know, I joke, I used to joke that I had this tattoo on my forehead that said, bring it on. I grew up Southern Baptist and, you know, there, there are a number of religions that would have us believe that, you know, we're all sinners and we can't, we, we have no control over that. And I disagree with that. My spiritual journey has gone, you know, a little apart from organized religion. There's, there's a power within us that you have to find and tap into and it, and you've tapped into it and it takes, and I love this quote, um, no one is exempt from suffering, but everyone is entitled to healing. And I, and I love that quote. Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, that was, that was one of the first sort of things that came to me. Um, and one of the things that I realized early on in my journey is that, you know, I'd heard stories and we all have, all of our listeners have heard about, you know, Grandma Jane or Aunt Susie or the neighbor lady down the street who had a miscarriage or whose son died, was never the same again and, you know, never lived again or something happened and they never recovered. And so that was, I saw and I just knew too many people get stuck in grief because grief is the only benchmark that we have. And, you know, it comes back to what you and I talked about before the show started, Will, was, you know, how we compare. And that's why my focus is on how we heal, because it's how do we help people from getting stuck in that conflict and grief pattern? So love it. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, I'm hoping that it will be the wave of the future. Great regard and, and many friends that I've met and associates through, you know, who are in the bereavement industry. And when I say that people are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, there really is a full like grief industry, bereavement industry. And I'm grateful for the fact that we've come so far in being able to have these conversations. I mean, you two gentlemen, I mean, mental illness can create grief, you know, in many elements of grief. And so you two are knocking it out of the park. I mean, two guys talking about this, breaking the stigma. I mean, I, I have so much regard for what you do and, and I'm grateful for for all the walls and barriers that are just being blown apart when it comes to grief. And yet I hear, and it's a common term in parental loss, you know, parents who've lost a child, and that is that child loss is the worst loss. And I'm like, that's not true. It doesn't have to be true. And when we're telling people that, when you're telling people that you are setting them up for failure, you know, is it possible that it is the worst loss? Yes. May it feel like the worst loss at that time? Yes. But what I tell people is when I found out that my husband and my best friend were having an affair, that grief, that loss felt equally significant to the death of my son. And I spent some time in that place with well, I've already experienced the worst loss. So why am I crying over spilt milk? For God's sakes, it's just an affair. Willingness has to be part of healing, right? You have to be willing to heal. Yes. And and I listened to, which I, I loved your, your, you know, your intro, the conversation and the back and forth that you and Will had, uh, or Tim had on healing and into this whole series that you're doing. And you do have to have a willingness 
I caution, I, I'm a little hesitant in using that word because sometimes we think of willingness attached with willpower. In my example, I mean, I had a question and I was moving forward in healing, but didn't realize that I was willing to do that. Does that make sense? It was just very organic. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but so, you were open, but you knew you were rock bottom. So, right. and, and that's, and that was where I was pointing out that I, you have to be willing to accept that you're rock bottom. Because yeah. a lot of people don't accept that the bottom is full. And maybe the bottom hasn't technically, because I mean, obviously things can always get worse. No matter how bad things are, things can always compile and pile on. They can, and they can always get better. Being open to that. And I think that's, so coming back to the, that quote that you said, Will, which is, no one is, is exempt from suffering and everyone is entitled to healing. One of the things that I found is our benchmark, right? Sort of our, our compass for healing has always been platitude. And a lot of platitude is faith-based, is scripture-based. And, you know, some of it's not. And one of the classic ones that I use is when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And one of the things that platitude does is it, it leaves out the messy part in the middle. It takes us from pain to healing, right? But it leaves out the, the process, growth. And that's different for each one of us. And so one of the earlier things that I thought of, you know, when I was exploring this is that, you know, we have people of all different faiths, all different beliefs, all different religions. And is it that one particular God is the only God in which you can have redemption? And I'm like, I don't believe that. And we have people who are atheists. If someone doesn't believe in a God or something outside of them, does that mean that they're destined to suffer forever? I'm like, no, I don't believe that. And so that's where, you know, the spiritual facet came in and it truly is we all I say it's the part of us that knows our hopes and dreams it's the part of us that drives us and I believe that that's the soul you know that's the divine self but it's not for me to to dictate to anybody else what that represents to them and so when I work with clients who come in and, and I work with clients of all different, where are you at? You know, where are you at? And I had a man that I was working with for a while who very much believed in the Bible and in scripture. And I mean, he could quote the Bible inside and out. And he was just, he was much like you guys, right? Um, just the nicest guy. And he had started dating a woman who his church didn't approve of. And they started punishing him. They started taking away roles. And, you know, every fiber of me and, Bill, and Will, I can, you know, I can feel your energy, right? <laughs> fiber of me was just like, no, no, you know, screaming. And yet I know that it's not for me to impose my thoughts on him. However, the way I approach it is I say, you know, first I asked him, what do you think about that? And he said, well, I, I feel like I'm being punished. 
and and I'm like, well, what do you you know? Do you believe that that's something that Jesus would have done? I mean, and so many people in organized religion, you know, look at Jesus as a different symbol than someone who's actually was a human. I and get it. He, you know, he looked at Jesus as a human, and he's like, that's not something Jesus would have done. And so then I I will say, I have you know my own thoughts, and I have some other concepts that I've been introduced to you to may I share some of them with you if anything resonates take what resonates and works for you and create your own tapestry discard the rest and it's been very successful I think that's that's important I think that's what both of us push a lot as well is you know take Take a bit from here, take a bit from there, take what you can, listen to everything and whatever works for you, that's what you do. You know, there's no right or wrong way per se. You know, if it works for you and it doesn't harm you or harm others, do that. Exactly. And here's the even more beautiful thing, Tim, and that is that what works today, you may say, oh, yeah, this resonates with me and I'm going to go with this. And you find out a week from now, a year from now, it's like, wow, I've grown. I've learned more. That's not quite, you know, that doesn't quite vibe with me anymore. Or or we, we can tailor it, right? We can adapt it. We can mold it. Things are I'm minimal. I agree. It kind of it, it kind of actually goes with with something that I really wanted to ask because I know you you speak a lot of adversity mm-hmm. and um, you said earlier about how we all kind of have it inside of us and I guess it's kind of a two part question but do you think we all have um, like a standard or a, a set resilience? And also, do you think we can build up our resilience? And how would you suggest to our viewers or our listeners to build up some resilience? Wow. (laughs) And um, so I'm currently um, taking an iridology certification program. And iridology is the the study of the color and structure of the eye that gives us insight into our genetic predisposition to certain things in life. It's so cool. One of the things in that is that through the color and structure of the eye, we can tell a person's resilience. So to answer that question, I, th- I do think that some of us, for whatever reason, genetic, you know, physical, spiritual predisposition have more resilience. And that blew me away in that part of the program. That said, I also believe that we can learn about our own constitutions. And what I say is put it to work for us. So these five facets, you know, again, it's part of a program, but it's helping people identify who you are what, what drives you and, and then building on those things. So the five facets actually exist in a hierarchy. Okay. I was just going to ask you if you could name the five facets for everyone. Yeah. So coming back to that, it's the academic, emotional, physical, social, and spiritual sides of the self. They exist in a hierarchy that's unique to each of us at the top of that hierarchy is one particular facet 
that just like it's enmeshed in everything that we do. It's the lens from which we see and be. We don't have to think about it. It's always there. We go down the hierarchy to the bottom, which is the facet, which is least what I say in your face, right? It's just, it does, it really doesn't, it doesn't have an impact on, on a lot. And yet I liken it to the foundation of your house, right? So it's at the bottom is your foundation of the house. What happens when you don't take care of the foundation of your house, right? It crumbles. Here's what happens. And I'll just give like a, a very quick overview for myself. When I first tested this theory out on myself, I was like, well, the two things that are constantly in my face, like that drive my suffering and my success, which is interesting because what's at the top drives both of those things. So I had the academic facet and the social facet. I'm a people person. You know, I love connecting with people. It rocks my world. And yet I'm also a person that asks questions, which, you know, the millions of questions that led me to where I am. So pardon the pun, but you can't have a dead heat <laughs> tie when there's a hierarchy. So then I thought, okay, where do I go to get my answer? Gotta I go inside, right? Well, no, I go to people. Well, inside, but I'm also a person. I go directly to other people. And I had a a talented uh, mental health professional once say to me, you know, she was a social worker and she said, yeah, well, everybody goes to people. The researchers go to people. I'm like, I know, except the difference is I don't go to academia. I don't go to books. I go to people. So if I have a question, something that I'm struggling with, I go to people and say, hey, have you ever experienced this? What are your thoughts? So for me, the social facet moved to the top of my hierarchy. And then the academic facet is next in line. Now, what that means is when I'm feeling alive and living my purpose and I'm passionate and I'm fueled and I'm happy and I'm fulfilled, I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm connecting with people. I'm like connecting on a truly just cellular cosmic level i'm making a difference or at least trying to right when i'm suffering guess what's also in the mix people what are their what are they thinking is the the swear word that i use going to offend somebody am i going to lose that listener and you know am i going to offend them how is what i'm doing or saying going to impact them is it going to be positive or negative and you get caught in that time warp, you know, that, that overthinking. And yet now that I've done this work and I've applied it to myself, I can stop when I find myself in that loop, I can go, oh, that's right. That's the social facet. Okay. Now, what do I need in this moment? How can I manage that? What resources do I have that I can employ to help heal this conflict that I have right now, because we're in that suffering, right? We need to heal it. What can I bring to the table? And coming back to the spiritual facet, you know, I said earlier, religion can be a support tool for that, right? Each of the facets, we bring different support tools in. And then I get to choose, okay, what do I want? to heal this conflict right now. And it goes to prove that it really is all about asking 
questions, all asking better questions and finding how important the questions we ask are. And you don't realize how surface level most of them are, because that's what I've realized. Like we've realized that usually the surface emotion you're feeling is not really the emotion. There's usually three, four, maybe who knows how many layers of it that you got to get down to to feel what you're really feeling. Because you might be feeling depressed, but it might not really be depression. It might be guilt. It might be something else. And oftentimes it is actually what I'm finding is it's oftentimes an underlying belief or a, you know, the different people look at it different. Some people will call it a subconscious thought. Some people will call it a belief. Oftentimes it's something underneath that then, which is also driving it. And when we can answer that question. So coming back to Tim's question, I know, um, Timothy, I went a long way around answering it's that all right. question. But so I do believe some of us are born with more genetic constitution resilience, as we would call it. And yet that doesn't mean that other people, like we might be resilient in one area, um, like a physical constitution. And yet, you know, there's other limitations that we have that offset that because we can't be perfect in everything. So it's all about building on, you can, yes, you can build resilience. Um, we just have to understand who we are, right? And accept, accept who we are, use our strengths to bring up our, for lack of a better word, weaknesses. And we tend to look at weakness as, oh, that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's just, you know, we can't be perfect and we can't be all things. So how do we manage what we have and to, to get through? And we all have that ability, period. End of discussion. <laughs> do you think that a lot of this stems from our childhood? Do you think it's the programs that we've been subconsciously program been pre-programmed with and when when is the separation of that because I, I didn't realize that our brain was still developing at 27 and when I'm thinking at 27 what I was doing at 27 and my brain wasn't fully completely developed then and with all the shit that I'd happened before then that my brain was never going to be right so like is there a jump off point between where your childhood affects you and where you have to accept some willingness and responsibility for your own life I see that as a couple different questions. So number one, it's all things. It's the genetic and spiritual predisposition that we come into, you know, come into this world with. It's our childhood experiences. It's the conditioning that we experience all through, all throughout our days. I don't think that it's any one thing. I think it's a combination of everything. And the reason I say that, and I think, again, we have to be very careful in how we label things because you can take a person who, let's just say, I, I want to be sensitive to you know our listeners, but let's just say childhood sexual abuse. And so for any listeners who have experienced that and are struggling with that, please know that you can be okay in the face of this. Just, just know that you may not know how, but you can be. 
So you take one individual, and we may have another listener on the other side of that spectrum, somebody who's really struggling, and then we have, and, and they're carrying it with them for a long time, and they're not able to find what they need to, to get, find resolution in their conflict and grief, as I call it. And you may, we may have another listener who's like, I experienced that and it fueled me. It fueled me to do something to where it's not limiting me anymore. So to say that it's any one experience or if there's a jumping off point, I think it would, it's unfair to society as a whole because every person, again, based on their hierarchy, their resilience, um, you know, their natural proclivity to resilience, they're going to respond differently and they're going to associate and identify with that experience differently. And that's, I think, the greatest um, pieces of this work that I do in healing. And again, coming back to that quote, no one is exempt from suffering, but everyone is entitled to healing. And what creates suffering for one person is different than someone else. Very, very nicely put. Thank you very much. And thank you for being sensitive about that. I think that piece right there that you just left us with is is a big variable in it, right? Is this, um, you know, I, I let's say I would look at a, um, a, a therapist, okay? And, you know, they help me and they, they do this and they know this and they're very knowledgeable and they have credentials. So... I think in this culture we live in, we look at this person and assume all across the board that they're okay and they have this resilience that's from A to Z. And that's not the case. It's it's exactly what you said. It's, you know, I could be good at this, but I could be bad at this. Something that could happen to you, a trauma that happened to you, we could sit here and go, oh my gosh, that's the worst. And you survived it and, and was like, you know what, that wasn't really the worst. So I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe understanding, maybe that um, there's a, there's a communication comprehension problem that we might be missing in the mix that, you know, we're missing just that we're missing and, and more people, I think more people are susceptible to these things, just more people are susceptible to illness, you know, and then whatever path they take, whatever um, life experiences they have are going to either, you know, be a positive or a negative effect on that susceptibility i guess oh, yeah well and and there's also perception right and that's coming back to the very first component of this five facets program is back to basics and one of the major five language and lifestyle barriers that hold us in conflict and grief is perception how we perceive things and what i can tell you is when i when i speak was severely depressed. I was having suicide ideations on the daily. Um, I was plotting suicide and how I could how I could complete suicide and make it look like an accident so I wouldn't leave my children with the stigma of having a mother who committed suicide. And one day I went into my um, counselor. And I told him, this is, this is how I can make that happen. And he's like, if you wanted to be dead, you'd be dead by now. 
the, the truth is you don't want to die, you want to live. And that was profound for me. Now, while all of that was happening, I was running a very successful business. I was involved in my children's schools. I was a parent mom. I was a sports mom. I, well, I mean, you name it, people, I was running a successful business. I was raising money for charity. People were coming in and telling me how great I was. Everybody perceived that and Tim, you know, I, I don't know if you prefer Tim or Timothy. I'm sorry, but um, coming back, and you know, either thing, you call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner. Oh my god, you don't <laughs> know how many times I've said that. You just you don't know how many times I've said that. Yeah, anyway, um, you know, people perceived that I had this just beautiful life and everything that was going on, and people had no clue that I was struggling with that every single day. That's where and, that, even your own perception of you, that's where that, in, it, it's all an inside job. If, you know, somebody, so, so many people can come up and tell you whatever they want. And it really truly doesn't matter unless you believe it, unless you believe what you are, unless your thoughts are, are more caring and more uh, compassionate and more serving to your life. Yeah. And what this, this counselor also pointed out to me, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter what other people say to you, no matter how many times people tell you you're gifted, you're talented, you're kind, you're, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you're a community, like if you don't believe it. And the other thing that he helped me realize is that I was actually making choices that validated what I felt inside because it, what the outside world was telling me wasn't in alignment with what I believed. And so I, I had to prove to myself that I was right and they were wrong, basically, you know, I mean, in a very simple, oversimplified statement, but yeah, we all have gifts within us. And what I say is, you know, the, with the five facets is the program is for me to help people again, understand themselves and then learn how to put their gifts to work for them. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Love it. Um, I just, I think that, you know, as, as Will likes to say, I'm a big fan of one of the things that he likes to say, and it's uh, we're all recovering from something and it's, you know, there's, there's, that's very, it's just a solid, truthful piece of information, you know, because we all have something that we're trying to heal from or that we need to heal from. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of people use the word recovery. And um, so I have a great regard for that word. One thing I will say in this work that I do, I use the word resolution. And I have a theory that, um, and I'm still working on sort of fleshing that out, but all conflict stems from some unresolved grief. And so I use the word resolution in conflict and grief. And the reason that I do that is because recovery in uh, language actually has an element of getting something back. And that's when people have a significant 
loss. That's one, you know, I want the past to come back. I want my happy marriage to come back. I want my child to come back to life. I want whatever it was. I, you know, I want my job back. I want my house back. I want my health back. I want it, it right. Whatever adversity insert your whatever we can't get that back. And so what we have to do is we have to be okay in the face of adversity. And one of the greatest gifts that I received um, was shortly after my son died and I went back to work and I worked in a, um, I managed an office where it was a custom customized industry. And so we worked with clients and I worked with them extensively. And when I went back to work, many of my customers didn't know my son had died and they would come in and they'd be all happy and they're like oh how's the baby it's so good to see you and the only words guys that could come out of my mouth was i'm sorry he didn't make it and immediately you see the look of terror and you see them kind of back away like they've just you know heard something unimaginable which which they have you know their hands would twitch and I would reach across the counter and pat their hands and say, it's okay. I was becoming the consoler. And one day this woman said to me, when I said that to her, she replied to me, no, it's not okay. And I didn't realize the profound impact on that, that it had on me until years later um, when I was actually writing Digging for the Light. And um, I use that now, whatever adversity you're going through is not okay, but you can be okay in the face of it. As someone is going through this process currently, what is the first question that someone can ask themselves? Is there a first step to this that we can offer somebody to say, this is a question you should ask yourself if you're in this position right now? So if I may, I'm going to, I'm just going to elaborate a little bit. So in every, every one-on-one -on -one that I do, every presentation I give across the country, um, I start with four questions. And, and if I may, if you, if you have the time, um, I'd like to do that because I think. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's go through. So the first question is, and I ask people answer this without censoring it in one or two words. What is loss? So if you and if you and uh, Timothy would answer that, what what is loss to each of you? One or two words without censoring it? It um, hard. Um, I one or two words, I would say um, confusing. Okay. The second question is what is grief? The ability or well, the feeling of not having any control over anything. I would say an absence of something. Okay. The third question is what is healing? Regaining uh -huh. a sense of self. Moving forward, moving through. Okay. So for you and for each of our listeners who have answered that question, if you notice what is loss and what is, is grief, they're pretty much overlap. And in our culture, we use the term loss and grief as synonymous. And first, it's important. And so coming back to tips and tools, you know, guys and resources, 
I think the first and foremost important thing is to understand that loss, grief, and healing are autonomous. And so I've created three definitions for each. First, loss is an event. It's an event where someone or something that had meaning to us has gone missing from our life. Grief is our individual response to that loss event. And healing is, which I've already said, the resolution of the conflict and that comprises our grief. So the first thing coming back to your question then would be to try and, and separate those things out. Because when we intermingle loss and grief, then it all gets very convoluted and confusing. And in every, and I tell you, I worked with professional social work conferences, you know, everybody, loss and grief is entwined. So first of all, identify those three things. What is my loss event? And there's no right or wrong. What is my grief response? How am I feeling? So then coming back to, um, you know, what's the one thing, the one question that I could offer somebody once they've disseminated, separated, identified those, those two first two things, then you can say, what do I want to heal? And, and because then it makes it manageable. It's not so overwhelming. What one thing right now do I want or need? And I have a very uh, simple form and I can send it to you guys. You know, I don't know, you can link it down below, but it's a very, it's a very brief assessment that lists each of those five facets. What am I feeling right now? Where's my conflict? Is it in the academic facet, emotional facet, physical, social, spiritual, where is it? And you can tick them off and then you get to say, which is empowering, right? We get to choose. And in your intro to the series, Tim shared the part of the five steps of healing. Choose grief, choose acceptance, choose your facets, choose healing and choose vitality. But choice is empowering, right? Then you get to say, okay, what one thing do I want to work on right now? Um, I actually have, I, I want to add a quick question, but just because you, something you said um, early on in the beginning and we connected, I don't know. The title for my first book, Digging for the Light, it came, it was, it was actually a line in the book that said, sometimes I, sometimes I claw, sometimes I was buried alive um, with grief and suffering. And sometimes I clawed digging for the light. And that's one of the things that we say is we're buried alive, right? When we, when we feel like, you know, we're at rock bottom, I'm just buried alive in grief and suffering. And it was not lost on me. You know, you guys say you cannot um, serve below. You can only serve above ground. So the whole, my whole thing and digging for the light, right? Is you're buried alive and you're clawing your way to the surface, to the light and your, your title above ground. I, I, the, just the imagery of the two, right? And how they sort of align 
some people may not understand that. Hopefully, no, I, yeah, that's, I, yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing. That's much profound to me. Much, much (laughs) gratitude for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You can't, you can't Uh, serve from below. You you can't. And I believe our soul comes here for three reasons. One, to learn particular life lessons through experience. Two, to serve the world around us in some capacity. And three, to ascend. And every time we learn and serve, we ascend. And our ultimate ascension is when our soul leaves this body. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Yes, so I knew these were coming. Um, So I have favorites and least favorites for different reasons right so it's not there's not one but probably one of my least favorite words is can't um because it means we're not able we don't have the ability and that's contradictory to um what i believe i believe that we all have the ability so for this context right now, probably can't would be my least favorite and can would be my most favorite. I'm going to, I'm going to actually stick with my original question that I I've been switching this up a little bit here and there, because there's other fun questions that I like to ask that give you a little bit more insight into people sometimes and their creativity and stuff. But I do have to, I'm going to stick with the original. Do you have a spirit animal and are you an animal lover? And do you have a pet? And is it cat, dog, or other? So all of the things. Um, I don't, surprisingly, I'm not in touch with my spirit animal. If I had to guess, it's a tiger. From the time I was a little girl, I've always said, if it were legal to have a pet tiger, I'd have a pet tiger. I've always had a a fascination with tigers and they symbolize strength um, and not brute strength, but inner, inner strength. That would be my guess is that my spirit animal, one of them is the tiger. Um, I've had all the, all the pets. This is the first time in my life that I've been without um, a pet. Dogs and horses are probably my most favorite uh, but I've had horses, cats, dogs, um, a pet snake named Fluffy. Um, yeah, a ball python named Fluffy. I was introduced to this concept that animals come to this planet for two reasons. One, to be a part of the ecosystem and one, to be healers for humans. So the, the last question. If there is something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? Hands down, it would be we need to start educating our children at a young age and making them aware that they have everything within them. They need to heal whatever ails them, that uh, they're born with it to let them know that there is possibility and there is promise and there's more than one option. And, um, you know, that everybody has their own path. I mean, unfortunately we grow up, we'll ask this question earlier, you know, do I think it's our childhood that causes certain things or, um, 
and that's a part of it, right? And everybody is different and we don't have to, we don't have to believe hook, line and sinker what our parents believe. Um, and, you know, er again, everybody's their own way. I just, I think that children need to know that there's promise and possibility and hope and some you know for whatever reasons some children aren't getting that at home um how we do that i don't know i'd like to see it in the schools but with no child left behind you know it's taken out a lot of the emotional social connection pieces that i think are critical to growth but yeah hands down and i actually had the privilege of working with a nonprofit uh um, called Scared Sidless in Texas a couple years ago. And I've created a program um, for children, a little theme, theme song for the five facets. And one of my goals is to really roll that out at a later date and get involved with some people. But our children, I think, you know, it's kind of like if you've heard in the medical field that you've got to treat pain before it becomes pain right before it becomes so intense because once you reach the level of pain it's that much harder to treat it it takes longer and more effort to treat it so the same kind of holds true for our children if they're not aware that there's possibility and promise um and that there's lots of options out there by the time they get to be 27 28 30 you know and their brains are fully developed and they don't know that these things exist, then it just compounds. So yeah, help, help our children know these things early on. We, we appreciate so much you being here. Um, Anna Elizabeth is on AnnaElizabeth.com, true? That's is- Yes. Yep. Okay. And Anna and with an H and Elizabeth with a Z. So A-N-N-A-H, Elizabeth.com or the five facets of healing.com all spelled out. Love it. And she also has, has a book called Digging for the Light, which is available on Amazon and available through your website and wherever fine books are sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as, the, as the saying goes, yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, again, um, for the amazing work that you do every day. And honestly, for the privilege and honor of just being a part of what you do. Timmy, wow. Wow. Damn, dude. What a get. That was, I, I mean, wow. I, yeah, like, there's lots, um, of, lots of stuff in there for people to... Uh, to listen to, to, to take it further and, and, you know, check out the links and research and, um, you know, further, further what they already have inside of them. Let it come out. Absolutely. And I, I on this big note, um, if you've gotten anything from these shows, please drop us, uh, uh, you know, drop us a line, send an email to above ground podcast at gmail.com, which by the time you hear this episode, that may have changed, but we're working on that right now, but you can also buy the show a coffee. We now have a buy me a coffee page, which buy me a coffee is a 
service for creators like Patreon, and we are on there now. So if you really like the show, you can donate to the show that way. Um, and you can find us on all the socials. And we 2022 is is looking amazing, and we have all kinds of cool guests coming and cool conversations. So please join us for everything. You can find us on all the socials at Above Ground Podcast or Above Ground Pod because sometimes you just have to put it as pod because it doesn't fit. So until next week, be well. Be safe. Be above. above.